hppodcraft.com. Sir Hugh Ockram smiled as he sat by the open window of his study in the late August afternoon. A curiously yellow cloud obscured the low sun, and the clear summer light turned lurid as if it had been suddenly poisoned and polluted by the foul vapors of a plague. Sir Hugh's face seemed at best to be made of fine parchment drawn skin-tight over a wooden mask in which two sunken eyes peered from far within. The eyes peered from under wrinkled lids, alive and watchful like toads in their holes, side by side and exactly alike. But as the light changed, a little yellow glare flashed in each. He smiled, stretching pale lips across discolored teeth in an expression of profound self-satisfaction, blended with the most unforgiving hatred and contempt for the human doll. That was the first paragraph of The Dead Smile by F. Marion Crawford. And you are listening to us cover it here on the H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast. I'm Chad Pfeiffer. And I'm Chris Leike, and we are at hppodcraft.com. This is an author that we've covered before. Yeah, that's right. We did the story The Upper Birth by Francis Marion Crawford, and that was a great story. That was a great story. And I got to say, just from hearing that uh, that opening, looks like we're in for another good one. Yeah. I mean, that was some really creepy stuff. This whole story is got some kick-ass writing in it. I read that first paragraph, and I'm like, oh yeah. That's how I felt, too. This is going to be good. I want to thank <laughs> our uh, reader. A Mr. Andrew Lehman. He's been with us forever. He's amazing and awesome, and he brings so much class to the show. He does. He classes this up. Normally, it's just a couple of yokels talking, and then Andrew comes on, and suddenly, yokels and tuxedos. Uh, this is the free episode of our show for the month of July. Uh, if you like what you hear, if you don't normally subscribe, I, I hope you can consider it. It's $6.66 for a quarter. That's three months. Three months. If you subscribe, some of the subscription shows lately have been really a lot of fun. We covered some really yeah. ludicrous stories in June. Ridiculous. The Invisible Eye and... Owls here. We're, we're like having fights with people on the comments where they're going, no, those stories made sense. And we're saying, <laughs> no, they did not make sense. And it's, it's really fun. So people, you know, if you're interested in the kind of stuff we cover, remember that when you sign up, you'll also get the last 40 shows that we did under the subscription. Yeah, you get all of them. Even the owl's ear, or as I like to call it, the owl's rear. <laughs> yeah. Zing! Got some great stuff coming up pretty <laughs> soon, too. We've been doing this Lovecraft's anatomy thing. Now, the dead smile is maybe stretching it, but I'd say a smile is it's a body part, right? No, it's not, Chad. Sure it is. Okay, glad you agree with me. <laughs> I think that's a great title for a story. The dead, the dead smile. It is a great title. That sounds like a, a noir movie or something. Like it does. That. Yeah. What is it about that whole ear-to-ear -ear smile thing that's so damn creepy? And I think it's this fakeness, this insincerity of the smile, this smile masking something evil. Victor Hugo wrote a book called The Man Who Laughs in 1869, about 30 years before this story came out. Oh. I, I don't think that book was very popular, actually, but I might have some influence over the story that we're about to cover. I know that, that that's a great movie that came out. So what's it about? The main character is uh, he was mutilated when he was a child. Ah, yes. So okay. he has to wear something over his face to, to hide that smile. The film, it's Conrad Veidt, I think is, I'm saying it right. He was the actor who's in The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari who played Caesar. He's a really good actor. And in, I know the movie just because there's a lot of talk about the end of the movie. Something awful happens to him and he's crying, but he still has that big smile on his face. But let, let's get into the story now. What, what, what was going on there in, in okay. the intro? So this old guy, this creepy, smiling old guy is called mm -hmm. Sir Hugh. 
and yeah. he is with this old nurse who I was a little confused in the beginning here. She's just mm-hmm. kind of hanging out around there. She's not actually taking care of him because she's 100 years old. She, You learn that she's always been the family nurse. She took care of his father. She raised him. So she's had that role, but now she's just so elderly and decrepit that, in fact, she's got her own maid that cares for her. Yeah. So she's just sort of like the family servant who has become inseparable from the family. And her yeah. name is old nurse McDonald. I think that this story is happening either in Ireland. Or- it's Ireland. Well, Lovecraft thinks it took place in Ireland. The Dead Smile treats of family horrors in an old house and an ancestral vault in Ireland and introduces the Banshee with considerable force. Yeah. Spoiler. Spoiler, there's going to be a Banshee in here. We, <laughs> we can talk about that when it appears. So the nurse, she says he sees the faces of two women he betrayed in hell. Yeah. Why are they in hell? What did, what did they do? Because it, as far as I know in the story, they didn't really do anything that horrible. Well, one of them. Yeah, I agree with you. One of them kind of did something bad, but the other one, eh? Not so much, since we're going ahead and talking about some things that are going to happen. And I won't reveal it directly right now, but it becomes pretty clear pretty early what actually is going on in the story. Yeah. And I would say, and I read some other people talking about the story, that that's a failing of the story, that it's got this surprise that's not really a surprise. But as I was reading, I was thinking, you know, maybe it's not meant for it to be a surprise. Kind of like how Lovecraft would telegraph what was going to happen. I think he was well aware of that. Right. I think this story is much more about the gothic atmosphere and about building just the creepiness of it. Yeah. That the revelation isn't really that important, which is why, you know, right away he kind of tells you what it is. And it's because so Sir Hugh is dying. The old nurse is there. And then his son, Gabriel, who's very young, is standing by watching his father be infirm. You know, he knows that it's this disease and it's making his father crazy. Right. But the strange thing is happening where his father's got that big, creepy smile and against his own will. He starts to smile. And then next to him is his cousin, uh, Evelyn Warburton, yeah. who's got, and it says very clearly, has the same shadowy golden hair, the same sad violet eyes, the same luminously pale face as Gabriel. Okay, they look exactly alike, basically. And she's also fighting off this smile. I, I thought they were brother and sister right away. I didn't. I just thought they were cousins. And I, again, I keep thinking... Wow, people married the cousins a lot, didn't they, in the old days? Because there was in that other story, The Invisible Eye. Sure. And I was thinking, boy, people, I guess that was a really common thing, marrying your cousin. Yeah, it makes sense to me. You know, if the people that you're going to meet in life, especially among nobles who didn't work or really indulge in any kind of trade, I mean, yeah, the only people that you're going to be socializing with are extended family of some kind. So it's like, how far do they have to be related to you before it's okay? But yeah. you have to make that exception because... Your cousins might be the only people your age that you really spend time with. Pretty taboo in our culture, and it seems like it's been taboo for a long time, but I guess back then it, it really wasn't. Yeah, although what Sir Hugh says right there makes it seem like it is taboo. He says um, to them, I, I suppose that you're going to be made up your mind to get married, mm-hmm. Gabriel and, and Evelyn. You're going to marry when I'm dead, even though there's a really good reason you had better not. <laughs> okay, so I mean, at that point, it's like they describe them as looking exactly the same. And he's saying, you, there's this thing you should know, but I'm not going to tell you. That there's these two people in hell that the nurse said she saw. And you know what? There's going to be two more of them. Then he just goes to sleep. (laughs) He seems like a particularly cruel guy. They both leave bothered by what he's doing. And they start talking about what is this secret that he has? Why is he teasing us with this? Like saying, oh, there's something I know that you should probably know, but I'm not going to tell you. Gabe says if he doesn't tell us this, this important thing that he should be telling us, and he dies, it'll be on his head. And as he says, on his head, that echoes really loudly throughout the hall. A really cool thing that there's a strange echo in this hall. It picks out words to echo back at you. It won't necessarily echo everything. And Nurse McDonald has said that the hall would never echo a prayer when an Akram dies. 
That's the family name, Akram. Yeah. Though it would give back curses 10 for 1. The Akrams, when they die, they have a, a vault outside of the chapel on the grounds where they're all placed in shrouds. They don't put them in coffins. Yeah, this is the way that it's always been. And we're getting this because Gabriel and, and Evelyn are speaking with each other about it. Yeah. Gabriel says, yeah, that's the way it goes. They go into shrouds. That's the way that my father will be buried. That's the way I'll be buried. I'm going to be buried as well. Because uh, back in the day, Sir Vernon, who was killed by King James II, he was, he was, mm-hmm. his head was chopped off. He was put in an iron, inside an iron coffin and was buried. Then a few years later, they went into the family crypt and the coffin was open. His body was standing up against the wall and his head was in the corner and it was making this horrible, horrible smile. This is a weird thing that I don't understand. There's nothing telegraphed about why this happens. No. But yeah, he was beheaded. And every time they try to put him in the coffin, he gets out yeah. and his head's on the ground smiling. That's some creepy stuff. That is super creepy. It doesn't get explained. I think that's great. Evelyn says, wait, is it the same smile like Uncle Hugh smiles? Mm-hmm. And he kind of thinks about it and says, yeah, it, it, it is the same smile. And it's like, man, this is so creepy. The, the smiling yeah. thing. It's just... Oh, it really. And and that was 30 years ago when when they discovered the body out of the coffin. Right. Nobody's been on the vault since then because nobody in the family has passed away. Yeah. So with the passing of Sir Hugh, they're about to have to go into that kind of awful place again. Evelyn <laughs> feels like, you know, I, she says, I know that whatever it is that he's going to tell us, I want to get married now because I, I don't want whatever is going to happen. It's going to ruin our marriage. And I love you so much and I want to be with you. Mm-hmm. So let's just get married. He goes, well, we, you know. We can't do that with my father being sick right now and he's going to die soon. And we can be able to just wait until the time passes and then when we'll be together. Everything will be great. And she's saying, I just know something will keep us apart. And he says, nothing human as he pulls her close to him, which is that's a comforting thing to say, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. And then they go in for a kiss. And even that is creepy. Yeah. And their faces that were so strangely alike met and touched. Gabriel knew that the kiss had a marvelous savor of evil. Evelyn's lips were like the cool breath of a sweet and mortal fear that neither of them understood, for they were innocent and young. Yet she drew him to her by her lightest touch, as a sensitive plant shivers, waves its thin leaves, and bends and closes softly upon what it wants. He let himself be drawn to her willingly, as he would even if her touch had been deadly and poisonous. For he strangely loved that half-voluptuous breath of fear, and he passionately desired the nameless evil something that lurked in her maiden lips. I did love that part where he says, uh, a sensitive plant shivers, bends, and closes softly upon what it wants. I had Venus flytraps for a while. They are pretty evil plants, you know. Mm-hmm. They sort of close pretty slowly over the insect before it really knows what's going on. Yeah. That gets us into the second chapter, which starts with Nurse McDonald hanging out in her chair. She's got a big leather armchair. She's got a nice footstool. In her silver cup, there's always something to drink. But then, of course, there's little unsettling details, like the fact that her thumbs had grown longer than her fingers. That doesn't make any sense, but it's creepy. There's a great line that says her queer blue eyes would look straight ahead through doors and walls and worlds to a far place beyond. She's so old that she just knows more than the rest of us and had a kind of Lovecraftian bent there. She's kind of drifting off to sleep. This is in the middle of the night, 1 a.m. She looks out the window and she sees a pale face with blood red lips that looks just like Evelyn. Gold hair and everything. And then the nurse, she doesn't freak out the old old lady she doesn't freak out she just kind of says is it time 
While she looked, the face at the window changed. The eyes opened wider and wider till the white glared all round the bright violet and the bloody lips opened over gleaming teeth. The shadowy golden hair surrounding the face rose and streamed against the window in the night breeze, and in answer to Nurse MacDonald's question came a sound that froze the living flesh. It was a low, moaning voice, one that rose suddenly like the scream of storm. Then it went from a moan to a wail, from a wail to a howl, and from a howl to the shriek of the tortured dead. He who has heard it before knows, and he can bear witness that the cry of the banshee is an evil cry to hear alone in the deep night. When it was over and the face was gone, Nurse MacDonald shook a little in her great chair. That is a tough old broad to just be shaking a little bit. I'd be cramping my pants. That is some great writing. Yeah, that's great, great, great writing. I didn't quite know what was happening yet. Uh-huh. And then when it gave out the call, I thought, oh, okay, that's what this is. It's a banshee. Uh, because banshees, they show up when somebody's about to die. Yeah, you can hear them make their banshee wail. Yeah. It's kind of a, you know, harbinger of death. Like the whippoorwills in the yeah. Dunwich Horror. Right, exactly. They served that exact same function. And the banshee legend's been around for hundreds of hundreds of years. I mean, it's a Middle Ages legend, right. really. It takes on different, it's an Irish legend, although they, there's even versions of it in America and different parts of Great Britain. Sometimes it's actually a ghost. Sometimes it's the same kind of hag all the time. Some sort of a beautiful, like angelic woman sometimes. Mm-hmm. Usually it's a, it's a female. I, I've been, do you remember Darby O'Gill and the Little People, that Sean Connery movie? I watched it a lot and I don't really remember much about it. I don't remember much about it either, other than it dealt with Irish legend and there was a banshee in there that scared me. Oh my God. Like just terrified me. We might, we might've even talked about it on the show before yeah. at some point. Anyway, I got really excited when the character showed up here because that's always been a legend that I've been fond of. Now, the the caregiver for the nurse shows up. Right? Yeah, she, well, she doesn't show up. She turns around and she was standing there. She saw the banshee. The, she saw this mm-hmm. image. It wasn't just in this old woman's head because mm-hmm. the caregiver says that was the face of Miss Evelyn. It looked just like her. And, mm-hmm. and then she says to the caregiver, it is time, child. I must go to him for it is the end. Talking about Sir Hugh. Because she knows she just saw a banshee. Well, she knows even more than that. When she comes to see Hugh, becomes evident because she starts uh, questioning him. They go to the room. Sir Hugh is there, still very frail. Evelyn and Gabriel are there. They're trying to get him to drink something, and he doesn't want anything. Mm-hmm. And the nurse begins to prod him to tell the truth. Yeah, not his nurse that's taking care of him, but the old woman. Nurse McDonald, you better get this off your chest. It's time for you to tell us what you need to tell. And he goes, I don't, I don't have any any secrets. I've, I lived a good life. She laughs at that because she knows him really well. Yeah, I got the sense earlier in the story that maybe they were co-conspirators of some kind. You know, they were both in on it. And then in this scene, you see, no, no, no. She knows that he's sort of awful. Yeah. And she wants him to make some kind of amends for it here at the end of his life. She's saying, you're never going to see the sun again. Now is the time. Tell the truth. Clear your sins and be clean when you go on to the next world. And mm-hmm. at that point, he just smiles again, that creepy, creepy yeah. smile. It says his toad-like eyes glowed like evil jewels in his head. It's really terrible. And she gets more specific. By the wife who bore your son and died heartbroken, tell me the truth. She says, tell me the name of Evelyn Warburton's father, then I will let you die in peace. He continues to smile. When Crawford writes, I mean, he paints an entire experience here. We're skipping over some some stuff, but there were moments where he talked about the sound of the young man's you know shoes on the floor and and here it says nurse mcdonald's crooked shadow on the wall grew gigantic yeah sir hugh's breath was rattling in his throat as death crept in like a snake and choked it back all of this writing is 
it, just yeah fantastic the story is amazing such good writing and so lush and it's not too much this was one of the stories i couldn't read fast enough so hungry for it it was so good and the atmosphere of decay the sort of festering secrets of the family and that sort of thing reminded me a lot of the fall of the house of usher but i would say this guy gives poe a run for his money i mean this language that he uses oh, the way that yeah. he approaches it you know i think i might like it better than that Poe story now while she's prodding him to answer the question to tell the truth something raps at the window and she turns and looks and in the window she sees that face again it's her face almost yeah. hair streaming against the pane the lips dashed with blood and it lets out another of these fear shrieks says the fear shriek of a tormented corpse out of which the soul cannot pass for shame of deadly sins. Yeah. Horrible sound. And as that sound is there, the nurse is still prodding. Who was the girl Evelyn's father? What was his name? Hughes says, they know it in hell. And then dies. And he dies. Oh, so good. And again, that creepy thing starts to happen where as they watch him die with that smile on his face. They start smiling. They feel it creeping across their faces. Uh, they can't even look at each other. Gabriel looks at Evelyn, who's the woman he loves, uh -huh. and the same sickening smiles on her mouth, too. Now, luckily, the smile starts to wear away uh -huh. as Hugh has died. Yeah. They put him in his winding sheet and they take him to the chapel. They go down into the vault yep. to put him in his final resting place. And good old Vernon Ockham, he's not in his coffin. He's out and about, and his head is off to the side, and it's got a grin on its face. When I first read this, I think I missed the detail that he had been uh, beheaded. Uh -huh. So I thought that his head was just at a weird angle, and then I was finally going, wait, wait, wait a minute. He's standing up there with no head, and then the, the head's just on the floor smiling. Yeah. It's even worse. So creepy. Well, Gabriel puts his body back. It's not just Gabriel. There's some dudes helping him out. And as they're doing it, they begin to... They, he looks over and sees that the guys that are helping him have got that freaking smile on their face, that dead smile, Ugh, yeah. and realize that he doesn't. They just get out of there, and then that's the end of that chapter. So we get into chapter three. The old monster's dead. The information has dropped here that Evelyn has always lived in the hall. She's always been a guest of the family. She's never lived anywhere else. Well, at this moment, they're just trying to move on from the death. It's Christmas time. Evelyn's dressed the whole place up, and the tenants of the lands or they really like her a lot it's, it's been a long time since there's been a lady of Akram Hall they're having their Christmas time dinner maybe it's a New Year's Eve dinner a, a farmer gets up and makes toast to her when all the tenants are there having this dinner then the tenants all stood up and shouted for her Sir Gabriel stood up likewise beside Evelyn but when the men gave the last and loudest cheer of all there was a voice not theirs, above them all, higher, fiercer, louder, an unearthly scream shrieking for the bride of Akram Hall. It was so loud that the holly and the green boughs over the great chimney shook and waved as if a cool breeze were blowing over them. The men turned very pale. Many of them set down their glasses, but others let them fall upon the floor. Looking into one another's faces, they saw that they were all smiling strangely. A dead smile, like dead Sir Hugh's. The fear of death was suddenly upon them all, so that they fled in a panic, falling over one another like wild beasts in the burning forest when the thick smoke runs along before the flame. Tables were overturned, drinking glasses and bottles were broken in heaps, and dark red wine crawled like blood upon the polished floor. So great. It's so good. I, I wish I didn't like this so much because I just feel like I'm fawning over this piece. I don't really have, I can't make too many jokes about it because it's just so flipping cool. Certainly that's a terrible ending to any party, what just happened. <laughs> um, <laughs> right? That, the cry of this, and do they see uh, uh, 
Oh, there's another. Yeah, they keep hinting at this. But for the shadows of her hair, one might have not told their two faces apart. So everybody, go, everybody leaves, and Evelyn and Gabriel are just standing there. And once again, it's commented on that they look look exactly alike, just like each other. And I mean, obviously, yeah. this point too in the story with her going, "Who was her father?" And yeah. it, it's pretty apparent that that Sir Hugh is her father, and that they're half brother and half, half half sister. Now, now from this section to the end. We can kind of go a little faster. I, it, it really plays up the sick compulsion, which I think is what the story is kind of about. The fact that you can't help yourself from smiling. And, and Gabriel is starting to become obsessed because he knows that Sir Hugh is down there in that vault smiling still. Mm-hmm. And he wants to go down and he wants to see it for himself. He's starting to wander out into the grounds and just sort of stare down at the ground knowing the vault's below there. He says, it draws me to it day and night. And he feels, unless I see it, I shall die. Evelyn finally goes to old Nurse McDonald and says, what were you trying to get out of Hugh before he died? Yeah, because she's like, I know who my father was. It's Colonel Warburton. He died in Afghanistan with Sir Hugh because they fought together. The old nurse says, I don't know. I I've just have a guess of what might be the problem. She says, well, why don't you just tell me what the guess is? And as she's saying this, the cat spits and hisses at her. There's a cat by, by the old mm-hmm. nurse's feet. And when they look down at the cat, the cat has got the flippin' crazy death smile on its face. <laughs> Which could be awfully cheesy, but I totally bought into it in that scene. And it was actually a little creepy. It was creepy. That the animal has this twisted smile across its face. And the nurse kind of calms the cat down. Doesn't reveal anything to her other than to say that it was a bad thing. It's a wicked thing that happened. Or that could have happened because if I'm wrong about this and I tell you... It could really screw up your life, so I can't say. Yeah, I don't want to. Just putting this idea in your head, if it's not true, it could still ruin your life. So I don't want to. I don't want to be a part of it. But what she says here, you know, because Evelyn's saying he told us that we shouldn't marry, and the nurse says, "Yeah, he said that to you." But it's the kind of thing when a man puts poison meat before a starving beast and says, "Don't eat that." He clearly is reverse psychologizing you a little bit. <laughs> He he wants you to get married. She says, Hugh Ockram was the falsest man that ever told a cowardly lie and the crudest man that ever hurt a weak woman and the worst that ever loved to sin. I mean, he was, he's a bad guy. Man, he's a bad guy. There's also something that she said that, uh, that made me feel bad. When she's talking about being alive and she says, the beginning is fire. The end is a heap of ashes. Between the end and the beginning lies all the pain of the world. That's her summation of life. Come on. Turn that frown upside down. <laughs> no, don't do that. Oh, what? oh, come on. It's not so bad. And and at the end of it, she won't give her really any answer. She doesn't give her. She doesn't explain what's going on. But now at this point, Evelyn is feeling this compulsion to go down into that crypt. She feels like she's going to learn something, Some that there's right. a secret in there that maybe somehow they can figure it out. The climactic scene happens in the next chapter. It's striking midnight. Everybody's sleeping in the house, but Hugh is awake. And he's going to finally go down into the vault. He's, he just says, I'm going to go crazy if I don't. So he goes down. I mean, the picture is perfect. He doesn't get dressed. He's in his silk night clothes and his slippers. He's got a candle. Yeah. I can just see it. He's probably got the hat on and you know, the long clothes. really gothic. Candle. I mean, this this whole last chapter, it, it takes its time, like just really describing the mood and the atmosphere. And I don't want to really go into it too much. This is just read the story. I and Yeah, just read the story. It's so... Well told. As he goes down to the vault, he passes through the library. There's a secret door in there. I mean, they don't call it that, but he it's says totally that, a secret door. Yeah, he passes through a door where it's got imitated backs of books on it. You know, it's that old open the library shelf yeah. and go through thing, which is so perfect and, and gothic. Oh, oh yeah, he finally gets to the vault and his he feels his lips writhing, trying to make that smile yeah. on his face, and he hits himself in the mouth. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> to stop it from happening. Oh, so, yeah. So blood is dripping down off of his face as he turns the key and descends into the vault. 
They describe the horrible draft of the sepulcher, you know. Yeah. Everything in here is he could he, he hits all the senses in the story and, and smell is an important one and he makes sure to mention that. Now when he gets down there, he he finds Sir Hugh's body and he's still doing that smile. Cutting to the chase here, because you should just read this yes. the way he paints his picture is amazing. We don't do it justice describing it to you. So I'm just going to hit the points of what exactly happens. So he gets to the body and he's got this note. Yeah. Oh, but but before you say that, just the, I, the only detail that I thought was interesting was he goes down there. He finds where his father lies. I thought he would find Sir Vernon standing up with the head on the floor, mm-hmm. but it actually happens while he's in the vault. He's looking down at his father and then he hears the head hit the ground behind him. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa! So creepy. <laughs> the note, when he reads it, he realizes that his father wrote this note with the hopes of it being found years later because Mm -hmm. he figures the next time somebody's going to come in here is when somebody dies and that's going to be a while and he writes about how his wife's sister when her husband died in Afghanistan and that he kind of brought her into the house to help her what happened was a little romance began to happen between them and she had a child and that child was Mm -hmm. obviously Evelyn but then it goes into some detail about how he got bored with her and then gave her his curse and she died and it doesn't really explain mm-hmm. exactly what that is, what that curse is. Maybe he poisoned her, maybe offed her, or maybe he's got some evil magic. Who knows? Her sister, his first wife, died of a broken heart yeah. with his curse upon her. And I think it was, he's just a bad guy. He liked the sister. She found out about that. Mm-hmm. The sister's husband had died in Afghanistan when he brings her back. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he says he brought her back a full year later and she had the baby. So it should have been obvious to anybody. Yeah. That, it, that this new baby couldn't have been... Because he died. Yeah, a long time before. But yeah, he just got tired of her and she died too. So he was just awful of these two women. Now, what one could do is just say, yeah, it's a kid. It's another kid. Whatever. Who knows? But he doesn't do that. He decides to make the choice. And he says this in the note that I Mm -hmm. wanted to just screw over these dead women in hell, wherever they are, because I don't know why they're in hell, but he just kind of says they're in hell. One last turn of the screw. I'm going to convince these two children to get married. Right. Like, that's my plan. I'm over the next years. I have these two children. I'm going to somehow manipulate them into falling in love with each other and getting married just to do another evil act to, yeah. to hurt them, hurt these dead women that are going to somehow be able to perceive that. He's just evil. Now, whereas it was obvious the whole story that there was incest about to happen, the fact that the purpose of the incest is to torture two women in hell. Is pre- wow. <laughs> that's pretty. Yeah. That is pretty evil and all of that's in the note that gabriel's just read and then as you read this this is how the story finishes up this he read kneeling beside the corpse in the north vault by the light of the altar candle he had read it all and then he thanked god aloud that he had found the secret in time when he finally rose to his feet and looked down at the dead face it had changed The smile was gone from it the jaw had fallen a little and the tired dead lips were relaxed And then there was a breath behind him and close to him, not cold like that which had blown the flame of the candle as he came, but warm and human. He turned suddenly. There she stood, all in white, with her shadowy golden hair. She had risen from her bed and had followed him noiselessly. When she found him reading, she read over his shoulder. He started violently when he saw her, for his nerves were unstrung. Then he cried out her name in that still place of death. Evelyn! My brother, she answered softly and tenderly, putting out both hands to meet his. 
And that's the end of the story. That's the end of the story. Any criticism, I'm going to sling at this. Just know that it's written so well. It, who cares? It doesn't matter. Just read the story. Sure. This is one of the stories that we've covered that I'm just like, everybody's got to go online, find the story and read it. It's awesome. Yeah, we have it in our show notes. It's public domain. Yep. You can read it. And I really enjoyed The Upper Birth, which we've covered before. Yeah. I'm definitely going to pick up a couple anthologies from Crawford because this stuff is just outstanding. It's so good. It's so good. This executes on what Lovecraft's weird aesthetic is. Yeah. The details of the plot really aren't that necessary. That's not really the point. No. It's about the atmosphere. Hugh Ockram is so evil that his smile is contagious and affects everybody around him in the house. Right. Even in death. Well, and then what's going on with this this family and why can't they be buried? None of this is explained and it's super weird and that's that's perfect. I mean, that's what makes mm -hmm. these stories so good as opposed to... And we've talked about some of the, our past stories where it's a ghost story. And once you realize who the ghosts are and what they're doing and why they're doing it, it becomes mundane. It, it takes away the power yeah. of it. Whereas this is still, there's so many unanswered questions in it. I, sure, you know that they're brother and sister and that was his plan. But why that? I, and, and what's all this other strange things that are going on? This, yeah. It feels like you're scratching the surface of something and not actually really getting the whole story Agreed. and that maybe that whole story is unknown. I do think that the emotion or the point, the thing that Crawford was trying to convey without saying it is something to do with what I was talking about earlier about a sick compulsion. Yeah. I mean, I think the incest comes in because it's the worst example of a perversity. You know, it's, it's sex. It's sex with the absolute forbidden person. Right. They're so similar too. I mean, it's, it's twin cest really. This is like, <laughs> you know, they're, they're, it, it's the most forbidden thing you can do. And yet here everybody is smiling about it and hating that. And I think it's when you find yourself, you know, being excited over something that you know is wrong. What are you trying to say here, Jen? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so next week we are tackling E.F. Benson's The Face. We're staying in the head region right now bet, as yeah. we do these anatomy shows. So, yeah, it's going to be The Face. Here we were just focusing on the smile. This time E.F. Benson's going to give us the whole darn which is a body part now. It is a body part. He, we covered his story, The Man Who Went Too Far. Which we didn't care much for. We didn't care much for, but a lot of people actually wrote in and said that that's not the best example of his work. So, so we're giving him another try. We're giving him another okay. go. That'll be on our subscription-only show, so if you want to hear it, uh, go over to our site. You can link out from hppodcraft.com. I want to thank Andrew Lehman for knocking it out of the park. Great to have him on the show, as always. And he always uh, brings so much to his readings. It's so much more yeah. powerful. It's, it's great. Yeah. With that, I am Chris Lackey. I'm Chad Fife. And you've been listening to the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. At hppodcraft.com. craft.com